I don't know how you all feel, but I'm still living on last Sunday Easter. That was the day, wasn't it? So it got me wondering this week, um, uh, what's different? How is your life different? Because Jesus is raised from the dead. Your life, not life in general, yours personally. Work tomorrow, relationships that you're in, the way you attend church, the way you go through hard times, suffering maybe. How is that different than it would have been uh, if there were no resurrection. There are in the gospel stories uh, of how people encountered Jesus after he came back from the dead. These stories are usually stacked one upon the other as proof that Jesus is alive. If we have enough witnesses we can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that Christ has come back from the dead. But has it occurred to you that maybe these stories are in the Gospels not to prove anything except how Christ is present? It's not so much that Christ is alive. The question is, how is Jesus present? And to whom is Jesus present? How does Jesus present himself to different people in different situations? If I were to put all of the witnesses from the Gospels onto the platform and they would each tell their story, Thomas would step up and he would tell what happened to him. The women would step up and say, oh my goodness, on the way to the tomb, the disciples would come forward a little huddle and say, my goodness, we were in a room one time. The two on the road to Emmaus, they would say, we were just walking and he came up. All these stories, if they told their stories to us, probably after the first couple, you'd lose interest. You're like, yeah, I think I know what you're going to say. You're going to say he's alive. But there would be times in that, mo by the way, that'd be an amazing morning, wouldn't it? That would really be cool. It'd be like a huge question answer thing right afterwards. There would be times in that morning, I think, where you would lose interest, but there would be other times when you'd lean in. And I think it would be the times when those stories resonated with yours. So for instance, if you've ever felt like all of these Christians in this church hear from God and I never do, how come miracles never happen to me? I do hear they happen. Then the story of Thomas would really be relevant to you as he told about I wasn't there when Jesus revealed himself and I kept thinking this is not this isn't true at all then I saw him yeah I bet you'd lean in if you ever were um if you ever felt that 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 God was disappointing you he was not meeting your ex he was not acting like God then the two on the road to Emmaus, I mean, you'd be all over that story because they were, that's exactly where we, we had hoped he was the one, but now, you know. Or if you have ever disappointed God and you felt like this is the unpardonable, I think I've done the big one now, I'm never going to. Then the story of Peter at the sea afterwards where he said, Jesus was recreating the night of my betrayal. 
and he invited me to a breakfast that he put on. And then he called me back into the very service I thought I'd lost. You'd lean in. Somebody else, they might be asleep. I don't know how, but they might have missed it. But boy, I mean, if that was your story, do you see where I'm going with this? These stories in the Gospels are not there so much as proof that Jesus is alive. They are there as proof that Jesus is present, and they tell us how and to whom Jesus is present. They're not so much historical, though they are real history. They're existential. They're personal. They're our stories. The trouble with these stories in the Gospels is that they never explain themselves. I mean, the women at the tomb never say, we went there and the stone was rolled away, so guess what, people? Jesus can roll your stones away. Never says that. Thomas never says, I never believed until he stepped into the room. So let me tell you what this means. You who think you have to see in order to believe, no, no. You got to learn how to see because you believe. That'd be a great sermon, but he never says it. It's not until we get to Paul 30 years later that we start getting interpretations of what actually happened that morning. So this year, I put the letters of Paul next to the stories of the gospel because I figured the gospels were the witnesses, but they didn't know what it meant. And Paul knew what it meant, but he was never there. So if I could get them side by side so they were talking to one another, maybe well, maybe the thing would become more clear. So let me start in John 20. John 20 is the story of Mary Magdalene. She, she, she goes to the tomb in the morning, but in John 19 and 20, the story is told in three days. It says there's a day of preparation, there's a Sabbath, and then there's the first day. The day of preparation is Friday, the Sabbath is Saturday, and the first day is a Sunday. So this is a picture of Mary Magdalene crawling through the worst weekend of her life. On Friday, she watched the horror of evil displayed before her eyes. She watched the worst people do the worst things to the best man she ever knew. And the government and the religious leaders were complicit with the whole thing. The religious leaders were calling for his death. Better that one man die than the whole nation die. And I can't believe this. She can't believe this. We have a religious leader calling for the death of someone who is innocent. On Friday, she has seen the injustice that is baked into the justice system. She's seen the madness of the crowds. She feels that God has abandoned her in the moment he abandoned him. Why have you forsaken me? On Friday, the optimism is gone. She now sits opposite the tomb 
in a circle of friends, she sits opposite in the original, in opposition to the tomb. She is silent. She goes home. Saturday comes along. And now she tries to make sense of it. On Friday, it was taken from her. On Saturday, she wonders if she will ever be happy again. Sunday, she gets up early and starts walking toward the tomb. John's version. And it's right here where John bakes into the story a series of contrasts that other gospel writers do not have. Two things seem to be happening at the same time in John's telling of the story. One, she is walking while it is still dark. But the other is that it's the first day. Let me say that. It's dark, but it's the first day. In other words, even though it's the first day, it's still dark. She is walking toward a grave, but the stone has already been moved. Let me say that differently. You'll get sick of this in a moment if you're not already. Even though the stone has been moved, she still stands dumbfounded in front of a grave. Those are two different states of mind. One, he's dead. The other, the stone has been moved. She now stands in front of a tomb, but the tomb is in a garden. Only John catches this. Even though it's a garden, it's a garden with a tomb. And even though it feels like a tomb, it's actually a garden. Those are two different states of mind. She looks and sees that the stone has been rolled away. She turns and runs to tell her friends, Peter and John. They get up, run to the tomb. One of them looks in, the other one barges in. They step out of the tomb. They start talking amongst themselves. We are not told what they said. And then I suspect they just turn and leave quietly. Mary, however, does not. She stays in front of a grave crying. While crying, she bends down to look inside. There are two angels, one sitting where the head, one sitting where the feet were. The angels look at her. That alone would have freaked me out. 
I'd have ran. And they say to her, Woman, why are you crying? She says, They've stolen the body of my Lord, and I don't know where they put him. I don't know where he is. At this, she turns to leave, and as she goes, Jesus himself appears. And she doesn't recognize him. You're acting like you've heard this before. He says to her, woman, why are you crying? Now, may I just say that that's an insensitive question. If you doubt that, go to the next funeral and say, don't tell him I sent you, just go. <laughs> and say, while the family mourns, why are you crying? The person who is suspicious at a funeral is not the one crying, it's the one not crying. She is behaving like anyone normal would behave given what she knew. Yes? He says, woman, why are you crying? She thinks this is the gardener. And she says, sir, if you've taken his body, tell me where you put him and I'll go get him. He says, Mary. I like this part. When she hears his voice, she recognizes him. She did not recognize his appearance, but she recognized his voice. She recognized his voice when she heard her name in his mouth. Now do you see why I say this is not just history. This is a moment. Are you tracking? Those of you this morning that are still waiting for Jesus to make an appearance might be waiting for the wrong thing. Maybe what you're waiting for can only be heard and not seen. Maybe you need to hear his voice and your name in his mouth. Because when you hear that, you know he's alive. There is no proof stronger than that. Two years ago, on Good Friday, three years ago, sat over here while we filmed an empty sanctuary Good Friday service. I knew what no one else knew. I was losing a sister. I hadn't told anybody. I slipped in late, and while the 
cameras rolled and the people performed. I sat in the shadows over here and just lost it, came apart. It felt like the whole thing was a mockery to me. And that's how some of you feel. And before it ended, I stood up, slipped around the corner, went back to the office. I'd been hearing from God in the morning, and it was one of these John 20 things. Two things were happening at the same time. God was never more present than in those days, and yet those were the worst possible days. And I remember calling Lori on the phone, and I remember um, saying, I don't, I don't. I don't believe in the resurrection anymore uh, because I know it. I know it. I heard him. I heard him this morning. I heard him. Not with my ears, but I heard him inside me. And he said things that could only have come from him. And my name was in his mouth can I just testify this morning, that is a powerful moment. Would somebody say something? Mar. When she hears his name, she reaches out to grab him. He says, don't grab hold of me as if you cannot have me in this form any longer. Go tell my brothers. They're no longer disciples. They're brothers for the first time. Go tell my brothers. The family is now started, and they're my brothers. Tell them I am going to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. You see what he's doing? He is opening his relationship with the Father so that the disciples can come into the same relationship. This kind of stuff happens after the resurrection. That's the end of the story. That's a great story. Isn't that a good story? What does it mean? She does not know. She turns and tells the brothers the only thing she knows it's not till 30 years later when Paul would come along in 2 Corinthians and start bundling up these stories and try to make sense as to what was happening. So I'm imagining a conversation between Paul and Mary while Mary is telling Paul what happened that morning and Paul now with the benefit of hindsight, and he happens to be one of the 10 brightest minds in the history of the world, that helps is speaking back to Mary with things she never imagined. Mary, you were walking in the darkness, but you were walking in the first day. Mary, the first day may be a Sunday, but it's far more than that. It was on the first day, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God separated the light from the darkness, called one morning the other evening, and the evening and the morning were the first day. 
The first day is a day of creation, Mary. It was on the first day that Noah looked out over the ark and for the first time he saw that the waters had receded. He could see the mountaintops for the first time. It happened and it happened on the first day. Mary, it was on the first day that they erected the tabernacle as a sign of order in the wilderness of chaos and barrenness. It was God creating life and structure and beauty out of chaos and it happened on the first day. Mary, whenever there is a first day, it is so much more than Sunday. It is God restarting something for the first time. It is God speaking of things that are not as though they were and because he calls them, they come into being. Mary, it was dark that morning. I know it, and I know what you were feeling. But it was the darkness that was leaving. It wasn't the light. Mary, things were getting better. You just didn't know it. The tomb was not a hole in the wall where you put the dead and packed them away. Mary, the tomb was a tear in the veil between heaven and earth. The tomb is not only how you get into heaven, it's how heaven comes into earth. This is why Peter would say, you have an inheritance kept in heaven for you. Mary, you can reach that any and every day. There are powers and resources in heaven stored for you. Grab it. Get some. Mary, heaven is not later and it's not somewhere else. It's now. And it's right next to you. Mary, that isn't a tomb. That's a garden. And this isn't a burial. This is a planting. You plant a body. It's like you plant a seed. What comes from it is both like and unlike that seed. Mary, this is not the end. It's the start of an amazing day. It's just, does that change things? Here's why I say it, because I look around here this morning and I 
listen in my head to the conversations I've had with some of you, and some of you are are really struggling, and some of you are caught in cycles of grief. Some of you are still rehearsing the same complaints. And all of them are real. Every one of them is real. And it takes as long as it takes for those things to pass away. Don't let anyone force you to go faster than it takes. But they end on Sunday. That's what I came to tell you. You might still be stuck on a Friday. Grieving the loss of something you loved. You might be caught in Saturday wondering what it all means and how you'll ever be happy again. But dark as it is, you're living on the first day. I thought you needed to know that. Things are not getting worse despite what you hear in the news they're actually getting better. It's the darkness that is leaving people. It is not the light. What's coming is not the end. It's the beginning. It isn't a burial. It's a planting. Something new is gonna come. I thought you needed to hear that. You work every week and get caught in cycles of defeatism and surrounded by powers who presume they are still in control, but those powers have been broken at levels far beyond us, and we are actually free. We need not fear an enemy who has been defeated and overwhelmed. That's who you are, and that's your story. And when you leave this morning, that's the one you're going back into, not the thing somebody else has told you. The life of Jesus is not just his life, it's your life. He was raised for you. He is risen in you, he has gone on ahead of you, and you will be raised someday physically with him. That's who you are, and that's your story. Ain't that a fact? Ain't that a fact? Everything that you say is wrong with the world is in fact wrong. It's just not the only thing that's happening. It is dark, but it's the first day. That is a grave, but this is a garden. So I want to read scripture over you. You say, what's all this mean for me now? Stand, I'll tell you what. Listen to Paul. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians he says, people, we live in weak bodies, jars of clay. 
But at the same time, we have this treasure. And it shows that this all-surpassing power is not from us. It is from God. Therefore, we are hard-pressed on every side, but never crushed. Perplexed? Yes, but not in despair. Persecuted? <laughs> but not abandoned. Struck down? Of course, but never destroyed. We always get up because even though we carry in our body the death of Jesus, the life of Jesus is also revealed in our physical body. The older we get, the more like him we become. For we who are alive are always being given over to death so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. Somebody said, I believed and therefore I've spoken. Well, we have that same spirit of faith. We also believe and so we speak because we know that the one who raised Jesus from the dead will raise us with him and present us together to himself. Therefore, brothers and sisters, do not lose heart outwardly. You are getting older, yes, but inwardly, you're being renewed every day. These light and momentary troubles are achieving for you an eternal weight of glory that outweighs all of these light and momentary troubles. So fix your eyes, not on what is seen. No, 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 look at what is unseen, for what is seen is here today and gone tomorrow, but what is unseen is eternal. The word of the Lord. <laughs>